0: The Platform Sutra is the story of a figure called Hui Neng, and he's also called the Sixth Zen Patriarch, and uh, for the sake of this talk, I'm going to call him Master Nice Guy, because one, uh, Hui Neng, I find really hard to say, and two, I don't really like the word patriarch, so I don't want to call him the sixth patriarch either. When talking about him in the past, I've just called him the sixth patriarch, but I'm not crazy about the word patriarch, so I'm going to call him Mr. Nice Guy because Hui Nang, in my crude efforts to translate ancient Chinese, um, Hui Nang means the one who has excellent conduct or the one who behaves rightly, so I think nice guy, that's how I want to say it. So, I'm going to tell his story, and I'm going to refer to him consistently as Nice Guy. And um, there's also a figure in this story that is his, his rival, and his rival's name is also really hard to say. It's Shenzhou, and I'm going to call him Eyebrows, because Shenzhou means God's eyebrows. Who knows why? So I'm going to call his rival Eyebrows. Okay? Okay. So. This is the story of Master Nice Guy, okay? And I think this story um, tells us a lot about ourselves. So this figure, who I'm calling Master Nice Guy, he lived in China many, many years ago, and he was incredibly poor his uh his father had died at some point in his childhood so he grew up just being raised by his mother and this uh was not a civilization where women could really work at all so um they gr- he grew up really poor and he actually sustained himself by gathering wood so he would go out to the woods and he would pick up sticks and whatever and assemble them in a way that could be uh, reasonable for someone to use for firewood or what whatever else people use wood for. And he would take that to the market, to places where there were a lot of people and he would try to sell it. And that was how Queenang, Mr. Nice Guy and his mother survived just from him gathering wood and selling it. So, um, and I promise that is important to the story. So, He's Again, he's very poor, and he's in this city center, and one day he hears a monk, and this monk is chanting. This monk is chanting some lines from a text called the Diamond Sutra, which is a foundational Zen text. And he hears this monk chanting these lines. uh, Chanting in those days, by the way, a lot of the time monks memorized texts, and a good way to memorize something is to chant it or to sing it. At least that's what they found, so that's why this monk was chanting these lines. But he was chanting some lines from the Diamond Sutra about, you know, um, some of the things we associate with Buddhism about wisdom and our true nature and that meditation and that sort of thing. And Mr. Nice Guy, he heard that and he was really taken aback. He had never heard anything like this before. And so he asks the monk, he says, what is that you're chanting? And the monk tells him, I'm chanting from the Diamond Sutra. And the monk asks Mr. Nice Guy, he says, have you read it? And Mr. Nice Guy is put in a position where he has to say, I can't read. Which um, in that time and place, why would someone who gathers wood for a living know how to read? That it's a very different world from now and he didn't know how to read. A lot of people didn't know how to read in those days. It's not that weird. So, and that's important to the story, too, that he doesn't know how to read. So, this monk says, well, my teacher at the temple over there, he teaches on the Diamond Sutra, and he leads our Zen community. And Mr. Nice Guy says, well, I would... I would like to know more, can I go to your temple? So, the monk says, yes, you can go to my temple, you can meet the master and you can learn from him too. And it's not really set in the story. Did Queen Ang did, Hui Nang, did Ma- Mr. Nice Guy just abandon his mother and go? I it's not really covered. I don't know how he could have taken care of her and gone, but uh, we're going to put that aside because these kind of stories are kind of mythical, and a lot of it is maybe not exactly factual. So we don't really know. So we're going to set that aside. He goes to this temple, and he goes in, and the master of the temple is a man named Hongren. Hongren, and he goes and he meets Hongren, and Mr. Nice Guy says, I want to learn the Diamond Sutra from you. I want to learn the path, the Buddhist path from you. And the Master Hongren, he says, you are just a barbarian. You you can't possibly learn what I have to teach. You're not prepared to learn this. You're a barbarian. And what Mr. Nice Guy says is, he says, he's not, his feelings aren't hurt, like it, I can imagine my feelings being hurt, his feelings aren't hurt, he just says, well, we all have the same basic nature, so it doesn't matter that I'm a barbarian. And uh, it's important to the story, I probably was kind of a barbarian, so... But he says, you know, if we have if we have the same true nature then barbarian, scholar, smart person, dumb person makes no difference. And so this was sort of a test and the master is impressed. So Master Hongren says, "Okay, you can stay here. You can go work in the kitchen. You're going to go be the official rice pounder for the temple." Um So in these days, this temple has a lot of monks that live there. A lot of food has to get produced. And I don't know what a rice pounder is, and it doesn't matter. The point is that uh, Mr. Nice Guy has to go do a menial job in the kitchen that nobody really wants to do. And that's what he goes and he does. So he's full-time pounding rice in the kitchen, and. Once in a while, he gets to hear a talk from the master of the temple. And he's very happy when he gets to hear a talk. But he's also really dedicating himself to pounding the rice and doing a really good job. And that's important to the story, too. He does a really good job. So, a few months go by like this. He is just pounding rice. We're all rice pounders. And... It comes to pass that Hongren, the master of the temple, um, he's getting old. He kind of wants to retire. He wants to appoint someone to be his successor, which is a big thing in the Zen tradition, appointing a successor, okay? And again, I said a lot of monks live there. A lot of monks live there who have been studying with him for a while. And our, our the person we're following, Mr. Nice Guy, he's not, really not been around that long, right? So Hongren comes up with this idea. He says, okay, we're gonna have a test. I want someone to tell me something that expresses what he is, what expresses what you've learned here, something that expresses your true nature, that expresses the Buddhist path. If you have the chance to just say one Thing about your time following this path, what would you say? And whoever gives me the best of all possible answers is going to be my successor and is going to inherit the teachings from me. So all these monks are thinking about what they're gonna say. And um, there's one figure who Everybody all the monks think that this one guy is totally the best monk, and they think he is definitely gonna be Hongren's successor. So, and this guy's name is I'm gonna call him eyebrows. His name is Shen which means God's eyebrows, and I'm just gonna call him eyebrows. Okay, so eyebrows, because Shen is really hard to say. So eyebrows is the one that everybody thinks is gonna take the place of the master. So all the monks sit and talk to each other, and they think, well, we know it's going to be eyebrows, so why would, why would we try? And eyebrows himself, he thinks, I don't know if I'm worthy, really. So he is going to do this grand gesture where he's supposed to say something to express his understanding. And he's going to do it, but the thing is, though, he's really scared. He's afraid that he's going to do it. And the master's going to say, you're wrong. He's going to be really embarrassed and ashamed and laughed out of the temple. That's what he thinks is going to happen because he's not that confident. Okay. So what he does is he writes his, it's a verse. He writes his verse on the wall outside of the master's chamber. And he says to himself, I'm just going to write this here. If the master comes out and he sees it and he says it's great, then I'll say it was me. And if he doesn't say anything, it's okay. I'm just going to sneak away and not say anything. and I won't be embarrassed. Nobody will know. So this is what he writes. I'm going to read to you from the Platform Sutra. He writes, The body is a Bodhi tree. The mind is like a standing mirror. Always try to keep it clean. Don't let it gather dust. The body is a Bodhi tree. The mind is like a standing mirror. Always try to keep it clean. Don't let it gather dust. So he wrote that on the wall. And so he's saying, right, we're already always, our mind is is essentially a dirty mirror, and we're always trying to wipe it off. And we have to just wipe it all the time because, man, there's a lot of dust around. That's essentially what he has said with that verse and he wrote that on the wall and so the next day hongren discovered that on his wall and he told the assembled monks he said this is a good understanding and that is when eyebrows comes forward and he says yes i wrote it and hongren says you have a good understanding and then he just leaves he just goes back into his chamber. So he did not, while he did say that eyebrows had a good understanding, he also did not make him the successor. And a few days later, our the person we're following, Mr. Nice Guy, he's walking around the temple and he sees this written there, because it was just left there. So he sees it written there. Now of course, he can't read. But he asks a random person around, hey, will you read that to me? And the random person reads it to him. And Mr. Nice Guy thinks, that's not quite right. And I want to take a moment to tell you that I think the movie Goodwill Hunting is inspired by this story. Because in Goodwill Hunting, there's the impossible math problem, and it's written on a chalkboard. Or a whiteboard, and the janitor sees it, and he solves the impossible math impossible math problem. Right? I think this is this is kind of like that. I think this inspired Matt Damon a little bit because this is an impossible problem, and Mr. Nice Guy he sees it, and he says to this random person to walk by, he says, "I have my own verse, and I want you to write it here for me next to this one." And this random person for some reason, agrees to do it. And what uh, the verse of Mr. Nice Guy is. The bo- mind is the Bodhi tree. The body is the mirror's stand. The mirror itself is so clean, dust has no place to land. The mind is the Bodhi tree. The body is the mirror stand. The mirror itself is so clean, dust has no place to land. So, the first time I read this, I thought, well, that sounds really cool, but I don't know what it means, right? And uh, we might, of course, we think that way the first time we hear it, but it does sound, it sounds really cool, right? The dust has no place to land. And what Mr. Nice Guy is saying here is basically the whole point of this story. And that is... you are worthy. You are not broken and lost. You are not a a shameful creature who is incapable of enlightenment. Rather, dust has no place to land. Our true nature is our true nature. And no matter how broken and deluded we are, it's still there like the sun behind clouds so eyebrows said we have to be ever vigilant and continuously cleaning our minds because our mind there's we have very dirty minds right and mr nice guy is saying well really at our core we have goodness our core is not a dust covered mirror our t- core is a clean mirror the mirror that's underneath So rather than being about cleaning, purifying ourselves, no, the path's not about that. It's about realizing, it's about turning our minds so that we can realize that we're already clean and you are good enough. And the reason this is a theme of this whole story is, of course, Mr. Nice Guy is a barbarian who can't read, who collected wood for a living. And he became a famous Zen master. He accomplished everything. And so if a barbarian who can't read can accomplish everything, we can too. That's what it comes down to really. The point is you are worthy. He was worthy even though he was a wood collector. He was not. He was the one least likely. And Eyebrows is this very scholarly monk from a really good family, really smart, really diligent in his studies. And Mr. Nice Guy is a poor barbarian who collects wood for a living, and they both have the same nature. They both are at their core basic goodness, just like you and me. So. When we're practicing and we think, I'm never going to be able to still my mind enough to really meditate for a long time. Or I'm never going to be compassionate enough to not yell at strangers when they cut me off in traffic or whatever other things that we think of as our profound weaknesses to prevent us from being good Buddhists or good people in general. We are, we are good enough. We can transcend those. We just have to turn our minds. Turn our minds toward the Dharma. Turn our minds away from the things that keep us in delusion. The things that keep us causing suffering for ourselves and others. That's what we're really talking about. And the truth is anyone can do it. No one could have predicted that this wood collector rice pounder was going to be the sixth zen patriarch. And again, I don't like the word patriarch, but no one could have predicted that he would be the successor of Hongren, that he would be the master from who all of the zen tradition comes, but he was. And so we might think about ourselves I give in to temptation all the time or I drink too much or I get too angry when I'm in traffic or I just can't get my mind to settle down when I'm sitting even for a second and we might think therefore I'm not good enough and I can't do it but we're mistaken if we think that way and I can't tell you how many people I have taught the basics of meditation too who then come back later and say man I could not get my mind to settle down they just as though as though that is a unique problem as though that happens to just them and not to freaking everyone that tries i i like to say meditation practice and really compassion practices too are like working out. It's like exercising a muscle to get better and better. It's not like a thing that you just do and you're good at. And it's kind of absurd to think that way. Thinking that way is like thinking you can go to the gym a couple times and then lift 200 pounds. Of course you can't. And meditation practice is the same way. You think you're going to still the mind after just sitting a handful of times and, and you're just not. But the point of the story of... Mr. Nice Guy is we can do it. We are good enough and we are worthy and all the things that make us think we're not are temporary problems that we can overcome by turning our minds. And I didn't even finish the story. So the story goes that Master Nice Guy, Mr. Nice Guy, he's not Master Nice Guy yet, Mr. Nice Guy, he wrote that, he had a friend write that verse on the wall, and Hongren came out of his room the next day, and he somehow knew that it was from the rice pounder, so he called the rice pounder to his room, and he taught him He taught him, and it said he taught him from the texts called the Diamond Sutra and the Lankavatara Sutra. And it said that he gave him all the teachings from these texts, and then he gave him his sacred items, his robe and his bowl. And he said, all the monks are going to be really jealous, so I want you to leave right now and just kind of lay low for a little bit and then establish yourself as a teacher. And all the future teachings are going to come from you because you get it. And while eyebrows almost gets it, he doesn't quite. And most of these monks don't get it. But you get it. Our true nature is enlightenment. And we just gotta turn our minds to see it. And this includes everyone, and no one is left out. Even, uh, poor, illiterate wood collector. Everyone. You are good enough. So, that's what he did. Mr. Nice Guy, Hui Nang, he left and he went and he lived in the woods as a hermit for a while and then he lived with some uh, country people for a while in the woods and then he eventually showed up at a temple and he started teaching. And all of the Zen tradition comes from him. And if he had doubted himself the way I doubt myself sometimes, and the way presumably all of you doubt yourselves sometimes, then none of that would have happened. But he didn't he didn't doubt himself the way I do. So um that's all I have to say for right now. I hope this talk has been helpful. I really like the story of Hui Neng. and again, um, the text I've been talking from is the Platform Sutra, and this translation is by a guy named Red Pine, and I really recommend it a lot. So, thank you for listening.